morning all. I don't know about you, but I could definitely use some Jesus today. Um, so as we're standing here, um, just kind of reveling in the presence of just waiting on the Lord, um, I'm going to read through our passage today from Luke, and it's about prayer and how we can come to the Lord in prayer. And um, there's a little part in the middle there that you all are going to recognize, I'm sure. Um, and so you'll see on the screen, you'll be prompted to read through some of that with me. Um, and then when I'm finished, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. And together we'll say, thanks be to God. One day, Jesus was p praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us how to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, this is for you. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me, the door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, you will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Mosaic. We are so glad to be here with you. I'm Kim, and this is Connor, and um, we are both a part of the staff team. I have been a part of the staff team in various roles for about 15 years, and Connor, similarly, why don't you tell him? Eight years. Eight years? Yeah. Eight years on staff, and how many years volunteering? Oh, another two or three. Yeah. Yeah. So, so a long time. Yeah. Well, we're, we love this church. Mm -hmm. We love this church, and we're so glad to be here. Um, our lead pastor, Tim, is on a sabbatical, a three-month sabbatical, and he's about a month into that. So if you are new here or a guest, you will meet him in January. <laughs> and for now, um, our teaching team... Adam and Adam Harvey, also part of our staff team, and Becky Jasperger, professor at Multnomah, make up our teaching team. And then we have the opportunity to hear from some guest voices during this time. And Connor and I get to be some of those mm -hmm. from our own church family. So thanks for opening up God's word with us today. Mm -hmm. um, we know that when we open up God's word, that it is the spirit that illuminates the truth for us. It's the spirit who convicts 
and um, counsels us in that. And so we just want to take a moment before we get started here, and we just want to pray. So where you are, will you just close your eyes and bow your head with me? Mm-hmm. Heavenly Father, we are so, so grateful for you. This morning I stand here awed at who you are, that you are a God who loves us. You are a God who created this world and you are a God who created each unique person here in this room and you are after us. You are after us to to love us and to bring us into relationship with you. And so Jesus, we thank you that because of you, we have that relationship. We thank you that in your love and in your obedience to the Father, that you gave your life for us. And we know that that is not a one-time experience and everything changes. We know that we are seeking you and that we're experiencing you and we're in relationship with you and that as we do that, that we grow to know Father, Son, and Spirit even more. And Spirit, we know that you are the one who convicts and counsels and challenges. And so we ask you here to make good on that. Would you speak to us? Would you speak to every person in this room? And would you take the words that are spoken? Would you take the scripture? Would you, um, would you take a unique message from you to each heart in this room, the message that they need to step out of this place transformed by your spirit as we head into this next week? We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. 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 Yeah, so we're, uh, we've creatively called this whole series Luke Acts because those are the books of scripture that we're walking through. And I just want you to know you're here on a very special day. This is the one-year anniversary of when we started Luke Acts, and we've made it through a whopping 10 chapters, everybody. <laughs> Woo! So we're starting chapter 11 today. And one of the, I think this is a beautiful way to walk through scripture, mm-hmm. to, to spend time like journeying through um, a book. And, and Luke is one of the four gospel accounts of Jesus's life. And then Acts kind of picks up the end of Jesus's life and the birth of the church. And, um, but one of the risks or one of the cons of like walking through Luke like this is we're, we're one day a week, like zeroing in on one part of these chapters. And you can kind of feel like we're just plodding along slowly. Like, let's help this story get moving a little bit. And what's hard to remember is that this stuff is like happening quick. Like yeah. Jesus is really moving. Um, chapter four kind of starts Jesus's like public ministry life. Like we're reintroduced to him as like a 30 year old. And um, up till chapter 19, when the story kind of zooms in on the final week of Jesus's life as he goes towards the cross and um, dies and is resurrected again, like four to 19 signifies about like a three year period in Jesus's life. And we're like dead in the middle of that mm-hmm. today in starting chapter 11. So we're a year, a year and a half into Jesus' public ministry, and he's like, he's going, like stuff is happening. And, um, and there's going to be a, a big list that comes up behind me uh, that you don't have to try and read, but just like a few of these like amazing, countercultural, surprising, like kingdom of God that is flipping the narrative on things, like Jesus is really moving. And so we just have to, to kind of take a minute to pause and identify where we are, because there's a lot happening, even if we feel like how are we only this far with a year under our belt? Yeah, absolutely. When we get to step into the story each week and we get to dwell in it and be changed by it, it's wonderful and it's beautiful. But we also want to orient as we head into this section with the fact that Jesus is doing some very, very, very incredible, like reality altering things. Yeah. 
And so um, we're just gonna we're gonna take take a minute and to like feel how fast it's moving and how all that's happening. I'm just gonna read through the list of what has happened between four. Well, some of the list we yeah. even we even left parts out. So go back and read it. Okay. Um, Jesus goes into the wilderness where he's tested by the devil and he resists him. He returns full of the spirit and word about him starts to spread. And he blows everyone away with his teaching. People are amazed. He launches his ministry by claiming in the temple that he is the fulfillment of the prophecy about the Messiah. It's like shocking. This is shocking. This is, we, we look back on this and, and we, we kind of know this. It's, we lose the shock factor of what is happening. We don't want to lose that as we're in this story. Uh, he makes the religious leaders angry with his teaching. They try to kill him, but he walks away unscathed. It's hilarious. Go read it. I love it. He delivers people from demon possession. He performs miracle after miracle, healing people over and over again. He cures leprosy, gives sight to the blind, and heals paralytics. He proclaims the good news of the kingdom of God. He preaches to the Gentiles. This is utterly remarkable. He's going to the marginalized and he's going to the not chosen. He calls unqualified, unimportant people to be his key disciples and leaders of the church. He forgives people's sins. He has dinner with sinners, the unwanted and the unworthy. He redefines Sabbath, which is a key religious practice of his people, of God's people. He teaches about who is blessed, and it's counterintuitive to who the world says is blessed. He commands the loving of enemies. He rebukes the judging of others. He praises the faith of the centurion, a Gentile. He raises the dead and then he raises the dead again. He is anointed by a sinful woman. It's unheard of. He forgives her for her sins and calls her worship righteous. He calls it right when the religious leaders are appalled that he would let her touch him. He stills the storm. He sends out the 12. He feeds the 5,000. He spends time with, no big deal, but Moses and Elijah and glorious <laughs> splendor. <laughs> He predicts his death, and he sets his course towards it. He sends out the 72. He's not simply accumulating a crowd, but he's empowering them to take his kingdom and mission out into the world. He redefines who our neighbors are with the story of the Good Samaritan. And he encourages a woman, a woman, Mary, to sit at his feet in the position of a disciple while other people who weren't disciples were gathered around in chairs, he encourages her to sit at his feet and says what she is doing is more important than serving. What she is doing is the important thing. Amen. Amen. Whew, right? This list, I think like, let's clap. What, what other response do we have but worship? This Jesus is unbelievable. He is 
changing the world with his very presence. He is changing people's lives. He is changing what people think of when they think of God and the kingdom. We're along with him in this. We're along with him. Um, He's moving in power and truth. He's going to the marginalized. He's elevating the people who are not normally elevated. He's healing the people who need healing. He's rebuking the religious. He's making space for and prioritizing the very, very unlikely, the very, very unworthy. The outsiders, the scumbags, people of different ethnicities, and children and women. Jesus is about healing, transformation, and restoration, and he's expanding his circle. He's on the move, and he's changing everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we get in this passage to step into Luke 11, 1 to 13. It's the passage that Brianna read. And amen, Brianna. I need Jesus this morning too. (laughs) So I love that. And um, one of the things that, that we see here is as Jesus is on the move, as he's going, as he's going and going and doing all these remarkable things, people are following him. And they're seeing something is different with his life. Something is different about this Jesus. And so... As we're, as we're watching him, a disciple comes up to him and says, um, hey, hey, Jesus, and let's just w- read this, um, Luke 11, 1. One day he was praying in a certain place, so we know that the place is unremarkable. It, it was just like along the journey. Um, and when he finished, one of his disciples, and we don't, it's an unnamed disciple, so unnamed place, unnamed disciple. It could have been one of the 12, it could have been one of the 72. We don't, we don't really know who this disciple is, but this is a question that Jesus gets. Master, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Yeah. Yeah, so with, I mean, Luke is notorious for detail. Yeah. As, as a doctor and a scholar, he's assembled his account to give us the best, give the reader the best possible chance of knowing and believing who Jesus is. So, uh, so we don't know who the disciple is, we don't know where the place is, which kind of lends itself to this idea that this is not the first time that Jesus has taught on prayer. Mm-hmm. Maybe this disciple hadn't even caught the first time. In, in Matthew's account, um, we read a very similar prescription for prayer, kind of the fuller version that gets called the Lord's Prayer as part of the Sermon on the Mount. This is not that time, or at least not what Luke is recording. So there's, there's this idea that um, this is how Jesus answered that question when he got that question mm-hmm. along the way. Um, so it's, it's not some magical incantation that if you snap your fingers and click your heels and say this exact prayer, like the Lamborghini shows up in your driveway, it's, it's, he's giving like a pattern or a guide for this is how you engage God. And I think it, it's amazing, just one, that Jesus gives an answer to the question or to the request, mm-hmm. because Jesus also has this like notorious reputation for answering a question with a question which um, he, he, he's, you know, artful at it. But here Jesus meets this disciple's longing with like an, a real answer and a very practical answer. So I think that's good news to us because um, I think if we're, if we're honest, we, we're like haunted by this concept of prayer, like by trying to connect to the beyond, the divine, to, to like humans have been trying to make sense of this um, like I'm bigger, my, there's something about this life that's bigger than what I feel and observe around me. And so that shows up in religious systems of all of history. Um, I read a, a study from the end of 2021 that it was actually talking about the decline of prayer in America. But the statistic was that out of 40,000 adult Americans surveyed from all different faith backgrounds or no faith, 
um, there's 70% of American adults who still prayed at least monthly. Mm-hmm. Which for, for a nation that is supposedly like secularizing or becoming like we're, we're, po- we're moving towards post-Christianity, mm-hmm. like there's still a lot of prayer going yeah. on. And it's not all directed toward God or Jesus, but, but humans, we have this like haunted longing for connecting mm-hmm. with God and the divine. So it's good news that Jesus answers. Um, Abraham Heschel, who uh, was a contemporary of Martin Luther King Jr. He was a Jewish philosopher and theologian. Uh, this was his, he was talking about prayer. He said, prayer is our humble answer to the inconceivable surprise of living. Like you wake up in your life, it's like, oh, okay, what are we doing here? And so there's this craving to connect. And if we're honest, this like very low confidence, uh, sometimes even like shame in feeling like, like, I don't know how to do this. Like, what am I doing here? Clearly somebody else has figured it out, but me and my life, I, I, how do I connect mm-hmm. with God? What, like, what are the things that keep us from prayer, the things that are in the way yeah. between our longing and our confidence and kind of the barrier between those two mm-hmm. things? And we, we just want to um, maybe even pause here and address that because we're built to, to pray. Yeah. We're built to connect with something greater than us. It's happening all over the world all the time. And we believe that we're, we direct our prayers, we, we direct our prayers to Father, Son, and Spirit. But for something that we're so built to do and is so um, like innate to the human experience, it's also really challenging. Mm-hmm. And so we just want to stop and think about what are the things that actually get in the way of praying or that make it difficult to pray to do this very thing that we're made to do. Um, we talked about this on our staff team, and I'd love for you, as, as Connor and I talk about this, to be thinking, are, what keeps us from praying or what makes it difficult or challenging might not be what is difficult for you. So as we're talking, would you just be considering that? What, what makes it difficult? What gets in the way of me connecting with God and talking with God in this way? Um, we talked about it on our staff, um, in our staff meeting, and it was great because there was another person there that has the same problem that I have. And so that always is helpful. Um, but for, for me, it is really that I, um, I want my prayers to be right and effective. And so sometimes, a lot of times, it keeps me from intimacy with God because I wait until, my, until I'm in a good enough place to ask something right of God. And that keeps me from this very like um, just primal engagement with my creator all that should be happening all the time up tozer calls it like an a continuous interchange of love that i would be having with my creator because i'm trying to make like yeah right like i could even do this but try to make myself and my prayers worthy enough for god to listen to yeah yeah personal barrier is just this reality of like i've i've got the will to pray i've got the time to pray i've got the focus and then all of a sudden that focus is gone in the face of distraction and i've kind of been latched on this phrase like the zoo of distractions it's the it's the like stomping around elephant of my next thing on my calendar it's like the the baboons of like chores it's it's like the, the moment i close my eyes or get quiet that's when my mind wakes up to all mm-hmm. the things I should be doing or could be doing. Or, or, mm-hmm. and, and so it, it mm-hmm. brings this like failure to engage even mm-hmm. off the bat, yeah. uh, facing down. Yeah. Well, that's also mine. So. Me too. <laughs> Me too. So. I can't relate with that at all. <laughs> 
So um, as we step into this really, really familiar way that Jesus taught us to pray, what we want to do is to, we're taking something that many of us in the room know and are familiar with, and what we're going to do is we're going to talk through it. And what we hope and what we've been praying is that there will be something in this prayer that grabs your attention and that you will and accept that as an invitation from the Holy Spirit to explore that with Jesus in prayer. That you would grab that and go, what, what is grabbing my attention about this? And what is, what is an area here that I struggle with? But we don't want this to be a religious rote prayer. Like Connor said, it's not a magical incantation. It's not, it's not the words. The words are guiding our hearts, if, if you are with me on that. Um, so what, we're going to start at the beginning. So, um, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. And this, this word here that Jesus uses is um, the Aram, um, Aramaic word, Abba. And the beautiful thing about Abba is that Jesus is actually saying, I want you to pray. To, I'm going to teach you how to pray. Pray like this. I'm going to give you the spirit of sonship. I'm already going to be pray to Abba, who is translated. It's like, um, this is not a full translation of it, but it's the idea of Papa or Daddy. So he's saying, go to God with a relational intimacy. Go to God knowing that he is your father. And what happens for me when I do that is that um, for some of us in the room, we have, we have a great picture of what a good father is. And so this is, it makes it easy. Oh, I can do this. I, I can turn and pray to a, a great father because I know what it is. Um, for some of us in the room, we don't, we haven't experienced a good father. And so what happens, but we all know what a good father is. We all have an idea of who what a good father loves, a good father provides, a good father protects. And we belong to, we belong with a good father. And so w what happens when we pray, this papa, this daddy, is we have to decide in our hearts that God is good and that he is a good and perfect father to us. Part of the other nuance of this word also is um, that we enter it. When, when you say papa and daddy, it's also with respect. So it's also with the tone um, of an obedient child. So when, what happens is that God is ordering the relation. He's saying, when you go to God, order the relationship like this. You are my good father. You are affectionate towards me. You love me. And I am your obedient child. I'm here as your obedient child. And then he goes to hallowed be your name. And he's saying, so not only is it this casual, intimate term, but we don't leave out that he is other than us, that he is majestic, that he is holy, that he is all-powerful, all-righteous, that he created this earth and everything in it, and he created us. So what, can, you hear the, can you hear the both of it? Both the intimacy, the respect, and also the awe and wonder. That's how we approach God in prayer. Um, when we do that, it actually aligns our identity 
with God. It, it puts us things in their proper order. So when Jesus is giving us this prayer, he's saying, here's how you're going to order it because order matters. You're saying, this is who you are and this is who I am. And that gives me my identity. And then every time I step into this prayer, I'm realigning with that identity. I'm realigning with you as the good and perfect and amazing and awe-inspiring God and with me as your obedient child. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So as we address God and we align and realign with who he is and, and the invitation to treat him like Papa, uh, it, Jesus moves right into here's how to ask. And he says, he says give us this day our, our daily bread. And this prayer for daily bread uh, is the idea of like the actual stuff that you need for mm -hmm. today. And, and so much is happening in so few words for Jesus where, where just like by praying to Father, by aligning with hallowed be your name, uh, asking like puts me in the position as somebody who's trying to pray at, as a person in need. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm admitting that I can't create or manufacture or somehow like grit my teeth and produce what I need for today. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, it's daily bread. So like if, if I was God orienting this prayer, like, I don't know if I would start there. Like it feels a little too practical or lowly. Um, I spend so much time in my prayer thinking like, how would somebody who is holy, like what would they ask for? Mm -hmm. I wouldn't ask for daily bread. It'd be like, yeah. God help me to, I, I don't know, magically become more like you. Mm -hmm. Jesus starts with, what do you need? What do you need? Mm -hmm. Bring your need to me. Um, daily bread uh, puts God in the place of provider. It humbles me and it forces me with my words and my heart posture to acknowledge that I'm dependent, which is a beautiful place to be. Like it's uncomfortable, um, but it's beautiful. Uh, I was reading this book on prayer and the author said, the main difference between me and God is that he doesn't spend his time trying to be me. <laughs> and so by, by praying for daily bread, it's that reminder, right? Mm -hmm. It snaps me out of this reality of like, okay, I'm not mm -hmm. in control. There are things that I cannot control. God, you've given me agency, but I need you to provide mm -hmm. what I need for living today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when I enter that, that part of the text too, it also reminds me of what we say all the time at Mosaic, but everything that we ha have belongs to God yeah. and is given to us by God. And so when we pray for our daily bread that we might think we worked for, we might think we earned, we're actually aligning with who truly gives us everything. Yeah. Um, the next part, forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Right? Like we read that and say it so easily, but there's so much in that. There's so much in that that we have to sit with and explore and work out with God. These are, these are simple phrases, but the depth of meaning is so amazing. You could sit with this and pray over it again and again and again. And in fact, that's what Jesus is inviting us to do because we need this prayer for some of us daily, but for some of us, we need it more than day. We need it all day long. I need to remember that I am a sinner. I am a forgiven sinner. I need to hear the gospel and preach the gospel to myself over and over and over again because that's when I remember that I am loved, I am rescued, I'm forgiven, and that's then when I can go out into the world and I can go out into my relationships and the relationships with people all over the city and remember 
that because I'm forgiven, I forgive. That changes everything. This here, Jesus was on a mission and is on a mission to rescue and to restore this world. And we are the people that he has invited to partner in this mission. And how we do that? We pray and we forgive. The, one of the biggest changers that would happen, I mean, we're coming up into a week that I'm, I'm sure you're seeing the headlines, it's fraught with strife already about politics. Um, there's all kinds of things happening. If we were to carry a spirit, a Jesus-given spirit of forgiveness to every situation, to every conversation, that is what's going to change us and it's what's going to change the world. So when we pray this, we remember that we're forgiven sinners and that what that means is that Jesus incurred the debt of our offense because he loves us and then we become people, ministers of reconciliation, we become people who incur the debt of the offenses that happen to us and we forgive. We offer forgiveness again and again. And lead us not into temptation. I've really grappled with this one. I read quite a few commentaries and um, really where I am settling on this um, and I would just encourage you to research it yourselves as well, but I, I'm, I'm settling in this place of this is what Jesus is saying to me. He's saying, I have, I have, this is not what Jesus is saying to me. I'm going to tell you what I've been thinking. But I have fears about the future. I have fears about what could happen in my life that would cause me to lose faith in Jesus. I have fear about what could happen to people that I love and so when I pray this, I'm actually praying for God's protection. I'm praying, please don't let these things happen. Please protect us. Um, and it's also, for me, a prayer of, um, of justice. If we're all praying this, we're all praying for a God that is making things right in this world, that he's restoring it, that he's bringing the whole world and all of its people in line with him and his kingdom so that people don't experience pain, disease, brokenness. It's part of the kingdom come. Jesus, don't lead me into temptation. Keep us safe. Yeah. Yeah. And so in not so many words, Jesus really takes us through quite a bit of content in, in how we can pray. And, um, comparatively to like the, the prayers that were present in, in uh, kind of the Jewish religious culture of the day, like the, the two big takeaways um, is that uh, Jesus is changing tone significantly in how we address God, where prayers of the day were, were geared at God's magnificence and sanctification and his otherness. Jesus brings it close like a dad. And the other thing that Jesus is doing is bringing like some expectation and participation into our prayer, where it's not only that we are forgiven, but we're, we're tasked with bringing the kingdom through the way we forgive others, um, by following his leadership, by participating in um, this kingdom that, he, that Jesus says is at hand. And if Jesus ended there, like if that was the instruction on prayer, and he dropped the microphone and walked away, like it's a good answer. But it's almost as if to like grab us each by the shoulders and say, I, like, I need you to get this. I need you to understand my accessibility as God. I need you to understand that I'm interested in you, that I'm interested in hearing your prayer for daily bread. I'm interested in being part of your life, forgiving and receiving forgiveness. He goes on. 
Mm-hmm. And, and so what we get on this back half is kind of this parable of, of a friend in need and then this promise and like he kind of returns to the beginning um, as we start into uh, verse number five. Mm-hmm. Um, then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me, the door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, I love that, shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Yeah. This took me a few times of reading to, I think, maybe grasp what Jesus is getting at. I think Jesus is not saying, even if God's annoyed with you, if you keep asking, (laughs) he'll eventually get you what you want. He's not saying that, to be clear. God is not annoyed with you. He, I think what Jesus is saying is, like, you know what it's like to be in the place of dependence on a friend or a neighbor. And you know that in a real pinch, like, you're going to bet on the substance of that relationship to keep your request coming. Mm-hmm. And, a good, and a friend, a true friend, is going to meet you in your need. What's interesting is, like, this, uh, this request for bread for the stranger who's a visitor, it's it's the same thing as daily bread. Like the daily allotment mm-hmm. of bread was three loaves. And so this guy's going saying, I need daily bread for this guy who showed up at midnight. And, and the neighbor answers. He says, I'll, I'll give you it because of your persistence. This is good news to me because um, I tend to operate, I can easily pray like God's annoyed with me. Mm-hmm. And so like, if, if that's you, like, like hear this today, God is not annoyed with you. He would love mm-hmm. to know what you need. He would love to respond to you. And then to double down, he, he asks, seek, knock. It will, will, will. Mm-hmm. Like God is interested in responding. And, and one of these like, prayer questions that I think has persisted for a very long time is this idea of if God is Father, if he knows me, if he is God, if he is the provider, the creator, the sustainer of all things, why do I still have to ask? Hmm. And, and, um, and I think this is like a, a nagging question that we can bring to try and connect with God is why do we ask if God is big, powerful, and in control? And just to give you a couple handles on this as we kind of wrestled and talked with this, I think it's, I think it's two directions at least. And the first is that uh, by asking, we're engaging with the relationship that God is offering. Uh, if uh, an ask is different than a wish, I think we kind of get that. Like we're, we're not praying towards like the cosmic vending machine of, of whatever. Like it's not the unnamed deity that we're kind of throwing, lobbing stuff up to and maybe we'll get some goodness in return. God wants to approach us or he wants us to approach him like a father, putting us in the place of the children. And parents, if you're a parent, you are interested in relationship with your kid, mm-hmm. not just meeting their everyday need. Yeah. Uh, and asking brings vulnerability. It again puts me in the place of somebody who is in need. And, and I think this, the second big thing is that God is interested in our participation with him. Like this Lord's Prayer um, gives me a role um, as I pray to join him in his kingdom work. God, God comes where he's invited. He doesn't overstep our free will from the beginning of creation. Um, he, he's saying, you've got a choice in this. And, 
And so by participating with God, we are kind of lending our bodies, our wills, our hearts, our minds mm -hmm. to the relationship and the participation. We're turning a spiritual reality into action by how we pray. So if that's, if that's the question, why, why do I still ask? I think it's because God's like pulling us in by, by relationship, by wanting to engage our hearts, our minds, our bodies as we pray. Um, the, the next part of it, um, which is verse 11, says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he, it's like, it's so funny. <laughs> Can you imagine Jesus explaining this to people? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So that last phrase there. I just want to read it again. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven, who we already said is the perfect father, get, um, will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Can you hear that? He's, he's saying, ask me, ask me, bring it to me. I'm your father, I'm your provider, I'm the one you're supposed to come to, I want you to come to me. I have good things for you, and guess what the good thing is? It's the Holy Spirit. Yeah. It's the Holy Spirit. It's not necessarily the thing you're requesting. So when we pray, God gives us what we need, but he wants us to ask. Can, um, can you put up the C.S. Lewis quote? Um, the, actually, it's the other one, sorry. I wasn't very clear about that. I forgot that. I pray because I'm helpless. I pray because the need flows out of me all the time, waking and sleeping. It doesn't change God it changes me. God's not saying, clean up everything before you come to me. Get your prayers right. Get your life right. Who are you? What are you thinking that you're going to ask me for something? You're not worthy. He's saying, bring it all to me. Mm -hmm. Give it all to me. And I'm going to give you what you need as you pray. It's the Holy Spirit. So as we finish out Jesus's instruction on prayer, um, it's almost like the direction turns towards us a bit. I think Jesus, in what he's presented, is, is confronting our view of God. He's confronting our view of ourselves. Mm -hmm. he's, he's inviting us to align with the way things are, not the way necessarily we see things at all times. And if, if God is close, if he's listening, if he's, respons if he's responsive, we have the invitation. And the question is, is will I trust him? Will I believe in his goodness as a father who wants to respond to me? Will I risk in what I pray for? Praying not for what I think I should, but for daily bread, what I need. Uh, will I believe um, that he's able to forgive me and give me what I need to forgive others? Will I believe in when I follow Jesus' model as he leads me, not mm -hmm. in temptation, but somewhere else? Mm -hmm. And um, those are just a couple of handles that like, stuck out to us, is, is what's the area of growth in my heart? Um, and honestly, I can find a way that it's all for. Yeah. Uh, but as as we like, as we move towards um, 
kind of our continued morning together and worshiping and responding to Jesus, like these might provide like a place of what, what's the growth area that the Holy Spirit yeah. is pinging in me mm-hmm. today? Because the promise is that he's gonna give us the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And so will I pray like Jesus mm-hmm. invites me to and wants me to? Uh, this is N.T. Wright, a uh, New Testament scholar, and he said, the Lord's Prayer, as many call it, is not just a loosely connected string of petitions, it's a prayer for people who are following Jesus on the kingdom journey. Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem to act on behalf of God's name, which had been dragged in the mud as his people had turned away from him in rebellion. He was on the way to accomplish the exodus in which the long-awaited kingdom of God would become a reality. He had already provided bread for the journey, and the breaking of bread was to become the sign of his presence in the church and the bond between his followers. This is a prayer which grows out of the mission of Jesus himself. Mm -hmm. You hear the invitation to relationship, to participation, with Jesus as we pray. One of the beautiful things about this is that Jesus likens himself to a common staple. Bread or some form of bread is universal. Every culture has it. And he's saying, I am your daily bread. I'm your provision. If you're part of the mosaic, the reading plan we're doing together, we're seeing this all the way back with the manna that when, when, the, when the Jews are delivered from the Egyptians, from slavery. He provides bread in the desert. He's saying, I am the bread of life. And then he also uses this this bread and cup as a symbol of him being the bread and life and what he has has done for us. And so I just wanna read, um, before we just transition into some time of reflection, uh, I just wanna read to you Part, a verse um, from 1 Corinthians 11 that, that talks about that. So when we come to the table, what we're doing is we are doing what this prayer says. We're remembering that we are forgiven sinners and that we are on mission with God to go out and be agents of his forgiveness, bringing his kingdom. Our world needs us to be people who are interceding for it all the time. We, our world, this city needs us to be people that are bringing him all of our requests about ourselves, about our families, about the city, about this country, about this world. So we remember the very gospel when we come to this table. This is 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-three to 26. For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim, proclaim the Lord's death, which is for you and which is for everybody you're going to encounter today. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we are going to align with this. And what we're going to do is as we transition into communi- communion, we're going to put the Lord's prayer back up. And will you just spend a moment and would you reflect on it? And would you enter 
praying it and say, Spirit, what do you want to show me? What is an area that I need to grow in in this prayer, in my understanding of you? What is an area that you're convicting me that I need to take out of this room and live out into the world? And then after some time of reflection, when you're ready, will you come forward and will you take the bread and take the cup and remember the daily provision of his life offered for you.